Alright everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Two Planker Podcast. I'm your host, Ethan Schaefer, and today on the show, we have Mr. Tom Wallish. Every time Tom's on a podcast, the host always says he needs no introduction, which I agree with, so we'll just leave it at that. This is the Tom Wallish episode. We talked about Steel City Showdown for about an hour, and then we went straight into viewer questions for the rest of it. If you're new to the show, or you like the show, please give us five stars and a follow. If you want to get in on viewer questions next time, follow us on Instagram at twoplankerpod, and send us a DM if you have a guest suggestion. That's all for the intro. Hope you guys like it. Here we are back with another episode. And Tom, it feels uh, it feels funny to ask you this. Would you like to introduce yourself for everybody? Yeah, of course. What's going on, world? Tom Walsh here, checking in from Park City, Utah. Stoked to be on the podcast. Nice. So just want to start off. Big congrats on another successful Steel City showdown. That was uh, that was awesome, dude. Thank you so much. I mean, it was so much work went into it, so much time and planning and to like see it come to fruition and to see like all the athletes shredding and like the tricks being thrown and like the crowd, it was, it was really cool. And it didn't pour rain on us this time. So I am very, very thankful for that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I was watching the, uh, just before this, I was watching the live stream from that first year and it was, uh, it, it looked brutal. It was, it wasn't just rain. It wasn't like an East coast rainstorm. It was like a, it was a typhoon or some sort of like hurricane like situation. And, it was cool because we continued to be able to talk about how this is a rail jam. It doesn't matter if it rains, doesn't matter how bad the weather is, you can still do it. And that's, what's so cool about rail skiing, but it also made being a spectator at the live event, very, very wet and soggy. So I'm grateful the rain stayed away and we had just an absolutely gorgeous night this time around. Yeah. Awesome. So I, like I told you right before this, I listened to all the podcasts you've done. You've been very generous with your voice over the years. And so I feel like your, your history is well-documented. So I think we'll focus mainly on steel city showdown, but if you, do you want to give like just a 15 second where you're from? Because I think that's like important just for how that plays into the event. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's hard to get me to talk short and not go long, but short and sweet born and raised in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, grew up rail skiing out there, moved to Salt Lake to go to school at the university of Utah found my way through skiing, making videos, eventually doing contests, X Games, all over. Now I've kind of come full circle to my main focus being filmmaking, filming urban, backcountry, and a focus on trying to bring awareness back to rail competitions and really just ride or run events in skiing where FIS is kind of the only option nowadays. So kind of come full circle to bring events back to the East Coast and that's how Steel City Showdown was born. So we'll go, uh, I mean, we're going to go pretty deep on this because I, I don't think it's been, the origins have been really covered. So you're kind of on, you know, I would say like the third phase of your career, like you had the come up and then you had the, you know, the peak and now you're kind of, you know, post peak, what are you giving back to the community? So how, what was the origin, like even thought of doing the Steel City Showdown? I guess for me originally, I mean, I've always wanted to do an event and I've had so many ideas over the years, everything from an urban video contest or uh, a slope style specific thing or a really unique slope style course, or all these different things. And 
the one thing that always was in the back of my mind was rail events, just because it's what I grew up doing and really how I made a name for myself as a kid and what I identify as as a skier. Growing up, I was only good at rails. It wasn't, wasn't until I moved to Utah that I learned how to like jump and keep up on like real slope style courses. So for me, the rails were so important. And then having to want, wanting to always do an event, eventually it came to a head and I was like, we got to do a rail jam. Like I need there to be a focus on rails and watching skateboard events like street league was really the inspiration to see like street skateboarding put on no jam format, no uh, run format, like tricks matter. You get scored for each trick and seeing that format run really made me think like that translate that, that works for rail jams. Like we have to do it. And that was the real theory behind the original Steel City Showdown in 2020 was the main focus was to integrate live scoring to a rail event, which had never been done. And to me, it was like, maybe that stuff that could make rail skiing on that level, very watchable from a spectator and a live stream standpoint, because you actually know who's winning, who has a chance to win, what they need to do to win. And there's real pressure, real buildup and real tv sort of build and and that was the kind of original idea behind it yeah and so when you were coming up what were the uh what were some like the hallmark events that you would go to because when i was like when i was younger it was it was rails to riches was the east coast event so i'm not sure if it was different in your experience no ironically enough like i I never got to do rails to riches it was almost like past my time i mean i probably should have flown out there from utah once, once i moved out here but like even at that time, it was LJ and Kai and Dale and all these other kids flying out. And I had kind of established myself as a pro. And I almost felt like me going and trying to win money was taking money away from those guys that probably deserved it. But at the same time, like that's what the event was. For me, it was more East Coast based, like smaller events. Like there was never necessarily a big one like Rails to Riches, but it was just like my resort. Seven Springs and Wisp in Maryland both would have like two or three a year. Like they weren't big. You won like a gift card, but they existed. And then we would travel to other resorts where I met Steve Stepp originally was when I was like 15 years old at a rail jam in Round Top PA in like October. And I drove all the way out there with my mom and a buddy of mine and ended up walking away with like four, four or 500 bucks that day, like beat Steve and all of his buddies. And I was thinking like, holy, like this, like just thinking back on it, it was so cool that it existed. And then there meeting Steve at that event, like, I mean, what is it 20 years later? And we still just got done skiing together. And it's just like, it shows what those events like bringing people together from different resorts to ski different hills compete together but like it wasn't about winning the money I mean it was awesome to to do it and I I went on to lose to Steve at other ones you know it went back and forth but that like competitiveness and camaraderie and that the vibe that you get at those events is like developed a lifelong friendship now for me and it's just so cool to think back on those and I just, they still exist, don't get me wrong. There's smaller events out there, but there's less and less. And I think it's just because, I mean, there's less bigger ones to look forward to as well. It's just like resorts don't want to put something on at that level anymore. Yeah. 
And so anyone that listened to the Steve Step episode will know that I think that your guys' friendship is like the most hilarious thing in skiing. So I'll probably ask you about it like a couple different times throughout this episode. But what was it like? What was it like growing up with Steve Step? Has he changed at all? Oh, no. I mean, he's basically the same guy. It's so funny. I mean, he he's made it further in life. He has a real job now, real commitments, manages like a team of IT uh, tech and like fully dialed. But still, you get him out on the hill or within our friend group and it's still the same absolute jokester, prankster, troll kind of guy who's like always sarcastic and grinded on somebody for something like it's just so funny that even 20 years later from like when we used to film hilarious weird edits together mammoth zoolander edits and like all these trashy different like round top riders edits he's still that same guy like very very much a ski nerd like all of us and just so weird and sarcastic and funny and and it's cool to have that friendship go so long i mean from those early days, like doing rail jams together to, to all the way to Utah, dorming together and still skiing together on the daily out here in our uh, 30 plus park skier crew that gets together weeknights at Woodward really pop off. Yeah. What, can you remember the last time that, because uh, you said that Steve used to have your number back in the day and actually beat you in competitions. Can you remember the last time that Steve has beat you in the ski competition? Oh man, that's tough. I mean, he's probably within the last few years beat me here and there on our our little like challenges. We're always like, oh, first person to to pretzel to this rail or to do this trick or something. And he's definitely still got the skills to to keep up. But the rail jam or like an actual legit contest was probably in those round top riders days. Like he, I remember he had. He got the switch corks first. So there was like a few big airs and stuff where like I wasn't doing switch cork fives or sevens. I could only do cork sevens and like switch upright spins. And he somehow learned that like switch rodeo seven. And he was he was walking away with the top honors there for a while. But it's probably been uh, I mean, I don't know the last time Steve competed in a full on competition. But it was probably, yeah, in high school, he used to, he definitely used to whoop me with that switch sev. I just, yeah, I have to ask because Steve just cracks me up. <laughs> he cracks me up too, man. He's always got me laughing. Yeah, cool. So, I mean, back on target. So you have this idea, <laughs> you're obviously inspired from your childhood. You're inspired by Street League. When you actually wanted to execute on this idea, what was your first step? Because I'm sure there's other pros out there that are wondering the same thing. Like, how do you even start and initiate something like this? Yeah, that's tough. I mean, for me, it was really, the idea has been there and I have all of these different ideas and I'm always trying, thinking of stuff. And I have such a good group of like core ski friends that are always like, oh, you know, it would be cool. And we we're always throwing it around. The first step for me was talking to my agent, Tom Yaps about it and having somebody like that in your court who not only wants to help, has the ability to communicate with sponsors, negotiate, uh, you know, streaming deals and all these sponsorships, resort relationships, and like having somebody in your corner, like Tom, who wants to help me do it. And he doesn't make money. I mean, we don't make money doing this event. So the fact that he's doing hours and hours, weeks of work on it, 
just to make me his client happy and in the hopes that like the event brings more notoriety to his other clients, to me, to our sport in general, like it's really out of the goodness of, of, of his heart to like do all this work without pay. But having somebody like him in my corner, the first step was really like, you either have to be a producer or an Asian type person that's really outgoing and willing to reach out to sponsors, to ask for money, to like negotiate those deals. And that was never really me. I mean, I'm, I'm in love with mingling and meeting with the people and talking shop and having the big ideas and talking in front of the camera and pitching the idea on a Zoom call. But I'm not necessarily the guy to like follow up with emails. Like, can we get five grand instead of 2,500? Like, you got to have like that person behind you. And he's really been that sort of the guy that keeps the, the ship uh, afloat and the train on, on tracks for all these rail jams to work. But really, I mean, it's a desire and a willingness to like put yourself out there and ask for the funding. I mean, you can't run any of these things. You got to ask for the money and having a resort that'll let you do it and help you do it. I mean, Seven Springs has been amazing to where we ask for 30 hotel rooms for our entire staff and it's done, non-issue. And if you don't have a resort that'll work with you and, and really front some of that cost, you can't do any of these events. So for any athletes out there listening or any kids out there inspired to host something at your own mountain, I mean, it really is all about getting in touch with the right people at the resort, asking around, being needy, being, you know, way too inquisitive and just keep, keep grinding on these people till you get the right person that also has a desire to see something like this come to life. And from there, you know, find sponsors, everybody from ski sponsors to a local car dealership, whatever it might be, don't be afraid to put yourself out there and, uh, and try to pitch somebody on this. That's really all it takes. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, if we're talking very specifics, like actually making something happen, when, what is this money that you're sourcing going to in terms of like operating costs? Mostly it's split between probably two major costs, like running the live stream is a, a major expense. And then prize money is obviously a huge expense. So this year we gave away $20,000 in cash purse split between the finals of the men's division, and the finals of the women's division. So you 20 K gone right away. And that's, that's a lot to raise right off the bat but it's those big checks that make it so exciting. Not every rail jam has to have that kind of purse. But for me, I want to entice the Olympic gold medalists also to come ski in this event so that you can have that back and forth between the up and coming kid, finally having a chance to battle somebody so out of their league, maybe in the slope course, but somebody they can compete with on rail jams. And then other than that, I mean, for me, it's the live stream. It's really expensive to have, cameraman on site, the production, all the equipment necessary, everything shipped, brought in, run, announcing, uh, just all the things that go into it are a big expense. But for me, it seemed like the most important way to get it, get that live scoring shown and to share this event with the world. So for us, I mean, those are the two biggest things. And then from there, there's all the nitty gritty from judges, you got to pay legit judges, travel for your crew, for filmers, for anything else, for helping athletes get their transportation, lighting. There's all these other like sort of additional expenses that really are just a drop in the bucket compared to those two major things, the, the live stream 
production of it and the, the cash person. Really, that's just because the resort works with us. Like, we don't pay a dime for the diesel fuel that the snowcats are running 24-7, setting this thing up. That runs, I mean, that's 5, 10, 20 grand real quick in cat time and park crew costs and hourly wages for these guys. So if you don't have a resort that'll kind of take that cost on for you, then it would almost be impossible. So another shout out, obviously, to those. Uh, I mean, they were working overtime. We had some rain the day before the event this year, and it, like, almost melt the whole features out they had to come in with the cats and rebuild basically everything it was like a a work of of work of freak work of art to try to get that thing back together and they did it so big yeah. shout out that's awesome and, th- and this is kind of a production nerdy question just because i work in that field what uh what company did you use for uh the video production uh, yeah so the side of uh, for the live stream we use a company called adrenaline garage and they do live stream works work for a ton of different events. The main guy, Jeff Harper, is a friend of mine going way, way back to some people might remember a video I did over a decade ago for, I think it was for Fuel TV called First Hand. It was this like day in the life type video. And that's where I met Jeff. His crew like produced this video. And it's uh, and this is like what what his crew does is lean and mean on the go, sort of like they will go to a car racing thing or a mountain bike competition in Crested Butte or wherever. Like they're off the grid, able to do these live streams from like very very low cost or as low cost as you can get from very very obscure places. So they're like the go to people for us, and I've just known Jeff for a lot of years, and they they do an amazing job for what it is and at literally a fraction of the cost, I'm sure, to what it would be to, if you wanted it to actually be like what X Games is, to have those production companies on set is just, I mean, it's six figures plus right off the bat. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, there's a, there's like a nice compliment to this. Like, I, I, wish, I wish I could have Talty Dan right here because he also just put it on an event, but it sounds like, it seems like just, I wasn't there, but it seems like from the outside, it was much more low cost, you know. It, they also had the support of Sugarbush Parks to put it on, but it seems like the the actual capital needed for a smaller rail jam isn't as crazy as what you're trying to pull off. So I gotta, I want to talk to him about that too, just because this is one side yeah, of things, yeah. but it doesn't have to be so expensive, you know. Exactly. I th- I saw that too. I think it's happened. I, I don't know if it happened. I think he's doing it this weekend, maybe even this Saturday. Yeah, this I is saw, the second but... one. Yeah. Oh, okay. Nice. But that is that it's the true point. And I asked, I posed that same question to just to like an NS forum earlier today. Like, do you guys love the live stream? Is it, is it worth it? Like, do you love seeing this? Does it make the rail jam that much more important? Cause if not that all that money could go to a bigger cash prize or legitimately doing two of these events. Like that's how big of a cost it is. But for me, the only way to like, really showcase these skiers on what feels like that world-class stage is to have that live stream. Otherwise you see a kid like Owen Reddy come out and get fourth at the event. If you just see the highlights video, you have no idea how close he was and how well he competed against top tier pros. But if you have the live feed, you're like, yo, these dudes are keeping up. This is sick. Like it just feels but I mean, so much respect to Dan and, and that's the side that we just need more of. I mean, more, 
that local gathering, giving away a small amount of cash or having prizes and like bringing people together. Not everything has to be fist points and USASA memberships. Like it's sweet to have things that are approachable and just like sign up friendly that don't have so much commitment. Our sport's full of so much commitment these days. It's nice to just have a, uh, you know what? Sure. I'll enter. Let's, let's do it. Yeah, definitely. And I'm, I'm just speaking from my perspective, but uh, I'll go ahead and represent other people with this one. I think that the live stream is totally necessary, at least for the finals. Like my biggest complaint, whenever I talk to any of those dudes that are on the competition circuit is that I have no idea what the hell they're doing. 99% of the time. Like I, I was looking at uh like max story today and they're out in Europe competing in something that I can't even follow because it's not, live streamed or if it is live streamed it's not obvious where it is so it's like you kind of need to have that aspect to get people excited exactly and i think i'm i'm hoping we uh i mean not to get off on a different tangent but the new ceo of the u.s ski team is making a big push to do a way better job getting more tv rights more of the free ski snowboard sports from qualifying to finals represented on american tv so really cool to hear that from from her and i'm hoping in the future, we will see more of those events, and hopefully I'll be on the call for more of those events on NBC, on Peacock, whatever. Put it on whatever channel you want. Just let us watch it in America. There's there's some diehard fans that would watch qualifying, would watch everything. So I'm hoping for, for better results next year on that front. Absolutely. Like, the NBA is the most talked about sport on Twitter, and that is not be- and, and that is only because people can watch it basically whenever the hell they want. There's so many games. It's so well broadcasted. If these games were just taking place in some gym that was closed off from the world, who would give a shit, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So with this first one, so Tom, the, so Tom Yaps, the, the two Toms, so he's doing a lot of the, the heavy lifting for this. Was there a certain point where you got green lights – you know, from the sponsors, from the mountain, and you're like, oh shit, this is actually happening? Or was it like, once you set in motion, you're like, yeah, this will probably work out. Yeah, I mean, definitely. It was sort of like that, where in that one, we were a little bit further in advance and knew it it was meant to be a little bit more pro level. and, And there wasn't an idea originally to have any sort of registration or anybody literally compete that wasn't invited it, the, the true image was more street league style where you there's only 20 or 30 guys and you're just invited and there's big money and that was the original idea and once we started fundraising sponsor dollars got to like x amount that we were like felt comfortable we could then find the rest of it or at least break even in some way or figure it out it was kind of a go. The resort was always behind it and they've been supporters since day one, especially like the team that I work with is just so gung ho. So we had the green light from them. As soon as we were able to fundraise from basically just my sponsors, there's not like outside sponsors coming in. It's just like whoever supports me somehow. Uh, Once we had that money, we're like, okay, it's a go. And then from there, it was like me reaching out to all these different athletes trying to get a huge collection of pro skiers there and then finding, you know, who can come, who can't come, who can be there when, how to get there, who's flying in when, how to get you to the resort, where we put everybody up and, and the logistics part started. But it was really, as soon as we got that, that fundraised amount, it was green light for us and just full steam ahead. Yeah. At any point, like, 
when you know because you're you're entering into uncharted territory for yourself at the time did you ever turn to any other pros you know like henrik simon that have like put on their own events before saying hey you know could you kind of hold my hand through this aspect of things or was it just kind of you know maybe just general support here and there yeah not necessarily i mean i reached out to a lot of the other skiers that I that I know have done a lot of these events for advice on format and like the layout and timing and judging and all that stuff. But for the most part, the production and build of the event, I felt confident. I mean, Tommy Apps has done Tanner Hall Invitational, Sammy Carlson Invitational, like a few of these other rider run events with pro athletes. So has experience on that side. So we felt really comfortable with that but I was on the phone with Craig Coker who used to do War of Rails talking shop on features I was on the phone with like LJ Strenio and then like Colby or Alex on like what format they want to see like you've done rail jams LJ like how long should the jam be if there's this many people I was thinking this oh you think that like really more trying to figure out that formatting to make it the best possible show but that was really like all I wanted feedback on I mean the features and stuff too it was like fun to get feedback but like part of the fun of it being my event was like I mean I kind of just get to decide the things and it's like awesome to be like here's what the features are going to look like figure it out I've always wanted to hit this like too bad if you don't and uh and really it was just yeah a lot of feedback on that kind of stuff but then we kind of just went right, dove right into it, uh, kind of a little too crazy. I mean, that first one was so stressful, so much anxiety, no idea of the, if the judging format would work, like if live scoring, we didn't know if the live streaming crew could like make that scores come in appropriately. Like it had never been tested. So it was just very, very anxious, very, very stressful. And probably like the you know most sleepless exhausting week weekend of my entire life trying to make that first one come together the second one it was a breeze i mean a breeze compared to that it was still exhausting but much easier yeah in a different interview i can't remember which one you said that uh you were just doing literally everything you were the event manager you were the commentator you were playing like kind of the the role of the director did were you just was that coming from a point of, I just want to do it exactly my way and you were afraid to delegate yeah. or did, were you showing yeah. staff? Yeah. I mean, obviously it comes from a funding standpoint. Like I can't really delegate a ton of these tasks because you should be paid to do these things. Like a lot of the roles that I took on that initial year, like, I mean, this year I didn't commentate for the live stream, which it's, that's a real role that people get paid real money to do. And I just like, you can save, you know, a thousand, some two debt. Like you can save money if you just don't, if, if I do it. So yeah, that first year I was in the booth calling tricks, talking to the, like the producer of the live stream, trying to cut commercials, speeding up the judging, trying to redo how the judging was flowing. They didn't know if one score would overlay another. And we're like, oh, that's a blind 270, but also we need to like, do like just yelling and oh, it was like a mess in there, which was my doing or my bad doing just because I didn't delegate enough. And this year I just like hired people to do different roles. I wanted to be on site. And this year I was like, I just want to be out there like high five in the guys and like 
be a part of the action, film some clips with my iPhone and my GoPro and just be there and like celebrate like what the event is, slap fives with the fans. And it was so much more enjoyable, I gotta say. Yeah. That, yeah, it, it did make a difference seeing you like actually down there, kind of just at, you know, the, at like the athlete corral at the bottom, just hanging it was just out. Like a, yeah, just a tag along, just kind of just trying to get on camera, like showing off my logos. Yeah, that's awesome. And so like the actual event itself, I wasn't sure what happened with qualifiers that year or anything like that, but you know, you have all this planning and you're, you're already driving yourself crazy that day. What are your thoughts when the rain comes in and it's just like, it's literally raining on your parade and you're like, well, shit, all this work. And now like the worst possible thing is happening. I mean, it really, it could not have been worse and leading up to it, even probably a week and a half before the, original event in 2020 the the guys at seven springs called us and they're like is is this a go does it have to be a go because we really don't have enough snow to do it and i was like oh it's a go like i got 30 of the best gears in the world with plane tickets to pennsylvania like they're coming it's a week and a half 10 days away like we can't not have it and so like even before that rain we totally changed the setup we made everything smaller we made everything in a way that it could still somehow happen even with how warm it had been in Pennsylvania and then at that point when the rain came I just like I was beyond caring you know it's like well sorry guys like Alex I guess you're gonna be soaking wet when you hike and fans I, I don't know bring an umbrella like who cares like you get so far into these things that eventually it's like all the anxiety builds up and eventually I'm like I just can't change the weather I guess we'll see what happens and it ended up being really cool because I think it was like I said earlier a testament to what like rail events can be like if it was anything like that anywhere in the world say it was snowing that hard anywhere like you can't run a slope style or a half pipe event it just can't happen but whatever it's a rail jam you'll figure it out like it's fine it's always fine which is just so cool about that aspect and really showed off like the best skiers in the world flying all the way to Pennsylvania to ski in the rain. And they're still smiling. They're high-fiving each other. They're doing progressive tricks. And it brought more and more light, I think, to just what the East Coast can be and what park skiing can be on the East Coast. You really don't need much to make world-class tricks happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What were your thoughts on uh... – so that first year, it was very much like street league. You know, the best you had the best athletes in the world all coming in, like you said. What were your thoughts on the podium when someone like Tucker gets up there, who at the time, you know, you know, is he an am? He's kind of like new on the scene. He, I mean, he's not an established pro like those other guys. So what were your thoughts having the street league style set up with all these heavy hitters and then somebody new ends up, you know, on th in third place or whatever he took? Yeah, I mean, in hindsight, honestly, it was probably the coolest story from the event and probably the biggest factor in leading to what the event became for the second iteration. It was like seeing that, I mean, we, we were going to have a local qualifier, but it ended up not being local. It was like kids flying from all over. Anybody, it was sort of like invite only. You had to know somebody who let you get into the qualifier but to see Tucker come through the ranks, somebody at that time I'd never heard of, make it all the way through, compete in finals, make a stand in finals and compete with 
X Games gold medalist caliber skiers made me realize like what the event almost should be. Like, I love having the stars of the sport there, but it's also really cool that in rails, there's so much talent across our country where these kids don't have jump skills because they don't have jumps at their resort. So it's really cool to bring those top tier athletes almost down to just the rails and put them with hungry kids that deserve a chance that really could never do a fist slope style event. You're not going to catch Tucker doing a switch double 16 and like going to Silva Plana. Like it's just not what he's going to do. So it was really cool to see he, him almost doing that made the event for me. I mean, that moment and then being able to spend time with him last season filming urban and then see him come out again this year and to see all the kids come out of the qualifying event this year, it really showed me what I think this event or what any events like this could be and should be just to kind of level the playing field a bit where open registration, you don't need to be on a national team. You don't need to be on anything. And you really just have to be good at one aspect of skiing that's underrepresented nowadays within the whole comp scene and within just skiing in general and sponsorship in general, like there's not a ton of rail skiers out there just riding for big energy drink companies and getting paid. So hopefully events like this and more stuff like that could kind of promote a little, a shift that way and see some more uh, funding and some more credit going to such a, a cool aspect of our sport. That's literally done across the Midwest and across the East coast more than any other part of park skiing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you, you get to watch more events with a, like a keen eye, like you, you watch events in a different way than most people do more frequently than most people do. Like you're watching oh, yeah. slope style events. So what do you think in coming from the East coast when you're, you're watching these slope style events and these guys are just kind of moseying their way through the rail section. Like the rails never get the attention that they deserve in slope style. Cause it's like the riskiest part of your run. Yeah. And it's gotten better. I'll say over the years, I mean, nowadays there's less and less of, of the like easier stuff. Like when I was competing, the amount of like disaster four to switches and two on front twos was just out of this world. Like whatever the easiest rail trick was, get through the rails, go do a double cork. And I think this day and age, we're seeing more and more credit given to some of the longer rails and the more technical rail features because everybody's so good that it's really hard to differentiate yourself on the jump. Everybody's got a 1620 everybody's got all these crazy grabs and unique rotations. So the rails can be a defining part of a run. And, and it is fun to watch. I watch so much of it now, which is such a treat for me. It's just like a pure absolute fan of the sport. It's so fun to tune in for all these. I got a, uh, the Europe, the European world cup finals at 5 a.m. Mountain time on Saturday here that I'm calling from my guest bedroom. So I'll be on the call for Peacock if anybody's tuning in that early, early morning on Saturday, but like watching it is still really fun and seeing, seeing some of those athletes that do those cool rail tricks, like seeing Colby and Alex who really like for years have been like the U S head front head runners, like of like creativity, unique line choices on the rails and then getting them to come out to, to Pittsburgh is really awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you kind of hinted at this with, with Tucker, so what was your, your, uh, your autopsy like for the first one? You get through it. You're like, okay, this is great. We had a guy that's basically an amateur getting on the podium. 
let's get more amateurs in the next year. What were some of the other things that you were like, okay, I don't want to be so, so damn busy the next event. What were these things that you're like, okay, we need to incorporate this into the next iteration of this event. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty, pretty much hitting the nail on the head. I think originally after doing the first one, I think it was the next day. And then the day after that, when I was just dead tired, sick from standing in the rain and hung over a shit where I said, pretty much exactly I'm never doing that again that was awful that was way too much work like yeah it was awesome and everybody thanked me and thought it was cool but like I didn't make money like if anything we lost money doing it I was just like oh dead tired but then after like a couple months I like came back to it and I was like I kind of want to do it again like so cool for Tucker and then getting to meet him more and like hear his story of how he was like about to quit skiing, get a real job. And instead that rail jam made it so that he was going to focus and give it a shot and, and commit it. And it's now, you know, pro online and traveling and filming urban segments. And like that story really hit home where I was like the next one, I'm going to delegate better. Still didn't do a great job. I still did too much. I will do even less next time, but delegate better have a great crew around you and really anything the second time is easier knowing how these things work, where the setup's going to be, who to tell what to do and like how to build it all. Just, you know, you have all the connections then the company that rents the lights. We just tell them what we want. We need four of them. I know we need four of them. We needed four last time, but we got two, then three, then four to get to four. So now I know what we need. We'll just order four right off the bat or, all these different things you learn. So it just got easier. But the big change was that the whole open registration. And for me, I mean, we had an open to up to 100 people. We had around 60, 65 come. But I was like 100 kids. I hope 100 kids sign up. We'll do four qualifying rounds with like three or four making it through. Like, I want to give anybody that wants a chance a chance. Like, no, like, I mean, there's obviously a limit there, but if you, if you log on at whatever 9am the day it opens, you're in no invite, no team, no nothing. Like you don't need to know somebody, you just log on and compete. And that's really like what I wanted this one to be was open to the world where in the past, just events have gotten so sectioned off that you need a certain amount of points to get into a certain level to do this or an invite to X games. Like, all these things become so unattainable that I wanted to come back to at least one event being just sign up. You got a hundred bucks. You, you think you can compete with them? Sign up, dude, here's the link. And, and that's what I really wanted this one to be. That's awesome. Yeah. That's, that's really awesome. So, I mean, in terms of, so the, that stuff, you know, that's like behind the scenes stuff that I've heard, but like the things that you see and notice, I noticed that this year, the, the features were way bigger. You know, there was less, in my opinion, there was less like techie features and more, more, more that were conducive for just sending it, you know, huge tricks instead of like a million different super unique switch ups. And then also it was like a completely different location on the mountain. So what was the thought process behind those two aspects of it? We definitely wanted bigger features and really my original plan is to, and plan for the future is to have a little bit of both. This year we had probably more big than small. And I'd love to meet in the middle with stuff that's something that's long, something that's big and dramatic, something that's techy and hard, 
And just like that combination where any skier can still do one of the features in a way that suits their skiing style and still can impress the judges where this year we really didn't have that sort of Z rail or that technical rail that like you could stand out by doing a technical trick. Like there was smaller things, but you were getting downscored if you hit something smaller. So my goal is to meet in the middle just to have something for every type of rail skier from the guy that wants to send to the guy that wants to do switch ups. And then for the location, it ended up working out amazing because there was not a lot of snow at the resort and they had a full 22 foot half pipe that they plowed into that one rail setup for us. But if you had seen where we did the rail jam before and where the plan to do it every year is, which is right next to the foggy goggle bar, there's the street setup, which is this amazing place to have the rail set up. And every year we say, we're going to do it there. And then all the snow melts and we can never do it there. So hopefully 2023, it will be there where we actually want it to be. Cause it's like a perfect spectator venue in a little bowl bar at the bottom, tons of space for tents and sponsors. And it's just like a great location, but we just continue to have really like bad timing on the East coast. One year we did it in January, rained the whole time. This year we did it in March, hoping we'd have all season to make snow, which they did, but then it rained and was 65 degrees for like two weeks leading up to it. So half pipe went away. Luckily we had enough snow to make that big setup right there, but it was cool having it near a parking lot and tailgate, but in the future, we'd love to have it right at the resort, right by the bar, right by like the scene and really have that sort of like, I don't even know what the vibe is, but it's meant to be like a downtown, like feeling rail jam where like you're amongst the, the big crowd and you're slapping fives with everybody as you go by. Yeah. I mean, I've never been to Seven Springs before. It's probably like an eight hour drive for me. Um, but oh, you gotta how, get like, out there. I know I, I need to, I was close. I, I went to WVU for work one time for a football game. So I was like out that ways and I saw signs for it, but I didn't get to, cause it was like October, but in <laughs> yeah. terms of like, in terms of attracting fans, do you think that it would ever become an event where people can fly out? I don't know if like there's good accommodations for it or if it's in the middle of nowhere, but do you see like the fans becoming more than just the local, the local Pennsylvanians? I mean, I would love that, but honestly, no, I, I, I guess I don't see that scale, at least not there. I mean, it is relatively inaccessible. The resort is probably hour, hour and a half from the airport. And there is no, like, this isn't like flying into Denver and catching the CME up to the resort. There's not transportation. No one flies to Pennsylvania to, to go skiing. They drive from wherever, you know, so everybody has a car. So it really... I always just picture the live on-site component being more or less a gathering of people within driving distance. And really it's not that far from Vermont. It's not that far from Michigan. So that whole community of what we call, what I call mid Atlantic or like mid mid East sort of region, like everybody can just drive and meet down there. And that would be my goal is to always have it be, the locals watching as well as anybody that could come within driving distance to watch their buddy compete, uh, parents watch their kids compete and just to have it be that gathering of free ski sort of crowd and love of sport and that vibe of, uh, of that. But I mean, it'd be cool if somebody wants to fly out by all means, I'll, uh, I'll help coordinate a ride, not a lot of Ubers. So good luck. 
Yeah. I mean, again, this has taken like the vision, the future vision for the event to like a different degree. But do you think that would ever hinder the growth of the event? The fact that, you know, you look at X Games, for example, and you get every drunk kid from Boulder coming up on these shuttles and it's and it adds to the environment. You know, perhaps it's a, it's kind of annoying when you're at X Games surrounded by all these you know, drunk people not wearing enough clothes for, for what the event is, but it's like, that's yeah. part of it. And people get stoked about that. Do you think that you'd be missing that element out in Pennsylvania? Uh, yeah, yes and no. And, and by no means, I mean, is Seven Springs or at the resort, our only idea, I guess for me, I, I, I love doing it there because the resort's so easy, but for me too, I'd love to see it I mean, rail jams used to be done in the cities around the country. And like, I would love, and our original plan was to do something in downtown Pittsburgh. And not to say that that's necessarily the goal for next year or any year, but like, I don't think we need to be, I would rather continue to change it up a bit rather than try to like make this into something that I think it can't be where it is. Like if you want that crowd i think you need it to just be in a city somewhere and the goal behind doing them there was always and what x games does so well is like you come up from boulder you're from california you're going to see you but you go to x games and then you like well maybe next weekend i'll try skiing like that looked really freaking cool like they were doing i mean i'm not going to do a 1980 but like those guys look like they were having fun and it's really introducing people to sport. So I'd love to do it and do more of these and do them somewhere in like a downtown location where you have the ability to showcase skiing or snowboarding or both to a whole new demographic. Uh, people that maybe didn't know you could ski rails. They're like, Oh, I thought skiing was just like, whatever, going to Aspen and wearing super corny ass suits and like skiing around really fancy like and it's like maybe you'll find that one kid that's like into skateboarding but not that good at skateboarding that then falls in love with skiing because they didn't know you could do an action sport version of it so i'd love to do it more accessible like that rather than i guess build up the resort aspect of it i mean the dream would definitely be to do it somewhere downtown if not pittsburgh somewhere and and to do more of them i mean it'd be so cool Everybody says it. Oh, you got to do a series of them. And I'm like, yeah, let's do a series of them. Can you find me 10 more paying sponsors that'll support that? Because I can't find that kind of money. I'm trying really hard, but it would be really cool to have a downtown series with legit features that weren't just a down rail in, in sort of like the city park. It needs to be big enough that we can have standout pros doing world-class tricks and be really cool in that regard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Were you, uh, during the event, did you have the live stream near you? Like specifically, were you able to see the chat feature throughout the event? I didn't really tune in during the event, post event. I have like skimmed through it as I like rewatch the event for like my own critiquing purposes, note taking for, you know, bettering next year. But no, I wasn't like on the live chat. I have my phone, but I was watching in person and really just like filming shit on my phone. Was the chat popping off? Yeah, I mean, if you're looking for feedback on it, and I saw this on New Schoolers, so I know that other people agree with this, that was probably one of the most underrated parts of the whole event. It's the fact that everyone is in there getting to just, like, you know, it's just New Schoolers humor and, like, 
And then there's like also just normal people in there because it's on the X Games channel. Sure. But it was awesome. You know, you got some guy that changed his name to Andre Regetli. So you're, it's like, and he's, he's I did making, see that. I did yeah, see he's that. making fun of him the whole time. And he's just, you know, it's just, it's a big, it's that, that part of it was also a side of the event that I think people were really excited about. It's, it's kind yeah. of like this virtual community all coming together. And obviously it ends up kind of stupid because it's, you know, it's the internet and we're all like in a chat room, but I think well, that's also, a huge part of it. You're like critiquing the judging and I disagree and I agree with this or that was the craziest trick. This should have been this. Like, yeah. it's all cool. Like, I love that aspect of it. And I didn't, I mean, we didn't think of it that way when setting any of it up, but X Games is like, you know, I just... I work with them and they have such a big following on YouTube that like of all the endemic partners of new schoolers and down days and all these like ski related media, like X games is just the biggest thing. And we're like, will you guys host it? And they're like, action sports, skiing, Tom's hosting it. It's going to be a real jump. Sure. Let's do it. And really cool that that function exists. Like, I mean, we just wanted more eyeballs and an easier place to send people to watch. But like, I never thought of that going in, how cool it would be for people to like live discuss everything as it's happening. Yeah. I mean, that's, and that's kind of the transition into being a mainstream sport. You know, everyone, like yeah. I went to grad school for sports management. All they talk, oh, the second screen, the second screen, this, the second screen, that you're gambling, you're getting the commentary, you're. You're talking about it with your friends while you're, you're like you're, half the time you're looking at your phone more than you're looking at the game. So I think that that was probably an unintentional, really great move for moving mm -hmm. the sport into like the mainstream side of, of broadcasting sports. Well, very cool. That was that was by, I mean, I guess I know you can comment on live things on YouTube, but I just never would have thought of it that way. That's a that's a really great take on it. Like just to get like anybody that's into action sports will probably tune in if it's on X games. And then you're now immediately down in the dirty nitty gritty conversation of skiers. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, so I mean, just, yeah. What were your, what were your thoughts for the second year? I don't have any like specific takeaways necessarily yet. Cause it's, you know, it's still so fresh. I just, I really enjoyed watching it. Like what were your thoughts going away, away from the second one as opposed to the first one? I mean, I, yeah, I really, I thought it turned out great. I mean, we got so fortunate with the weather this time around that it was clear. It didn't rain. It was slushy. It was awesome. I mean, for me, seeing the qualifying go down and seeing, you know, we, we originally set it up with a registration fee, not necessarily as gatekeeping, but like somewhat to have not unlimited people sign up. So the first thing I wanted to do with that $100 fee, which is a pretty drastic fee to sign up, you're also getting access to the resort and skiing this course, was to give all that money away. So the biggest takeaway for me was seeing and hearing from people after those qualifying rounds. We gave away checks, not for the winners of the whole event, but the winners of each heat, which is really very weird almost for a ski competition. But for me, it just felt like the most true way to get back to the roots of what it was. The original Rail Jam, where I went and met Steve Stepp, I paid $20 to enter. They pulled the $20, and I did the best trick and got all the money at the end. And it was so freaking cool. 
to like have it work that way. There were some I didn't win and my $20 went to Steve or went to somebody else, but just so cool to have that sort of pooling of money to make a real cash purse for whoever killed it that day. So for me to be able to give out big checks for the qualifying rounds to like Cal Carson, it's like, it's really cool to like support. And I saw on the chat afterward, obviously all the chat about Cal not being an am and being a pro and all this stuff. It's just like, the guys are just, it's just a label from the round he qualified through who cares, but like so cool to be able to like, it's great to give a big check to Mac forehand, but at the same time, like Cal's never held up a big check or one of these kids, you know, Jackson and all these kids, like they're not usually holding up big checks. Like let's make it a big deal. You still came out to this rowdy setup beat everybody else around you for that day on this rowdy setup, all the registration money goes to you. Boom. And, and that was like a big takeaway for me is like the feedback on that. And just like people, you know, slapping fives with me and thanking me for doing that and making it possible to win money for them, not only when they get through and it's a little bit harder when you're battling Alex and Colby and Mac and Tucker. So pretty, uh, pretty cool about that. Definitely. So here's a loaded transition for you. So let me walk you oh, through God. it. So you came like you came up through basically super unknown and you came up through the cash rail jams and then you found yourself like in the ski scene or excuse me, in the competition scene, you know, dominating competition scene. So now what's the route? The route is you get a, you get a coach, you get, you know, you're at a ski academy and then instead of cash, you're getting points. Like how the hell does a normal kid make it in competitions anymore? If instead of paying, giving you anything to, to make back that money, they're just giving you points instead. Like, what are your thoughts on, on the current state of competitions? Cause it just seems like it's impossible to do what you did today. It's, it's a, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's not necessarily a loaded question, but it is a harsh take. And also I see, so many facets of it that like I agree with and I see benefits from and so many issues. I'd say first off, obviously my idea behind this event is to have an event that's open, registration costs money, but you do get paid out cash and to try to open the field to more people, to make it more accessible, to make it more fair. But then at the same time, yeah, I mean, it is very hard to travel around, earn these points from the US, USASA level to Rev Tour to World Cup. It's so hard. And I, I hate that it's so hard and so expensive. But at the same time, all these aspects of the sport, I've seen so many more of my friends and so many more people, so many more peers develop lifelong careers in a sport that didn't have those the coaches that coach these kids that travel around these academies these team trips these summer camps like all these things yeah like I don't love the cost of them but it's so amazing to me to see now how many people have careers and jobs within a sport that is so important to them so it's just like ugh. It's tough. It's just always been expensive. Maybe it was a little bit easier, but it's always been impossible. If you don't have funding or good sponsors or rich parents, it's just always been inaccessible. It's getting more and more like that, 
but I wouldn't blame it necessarily all on the points chasing. Like you still, it's the price of a lift ticket is gone up. It's doubled since, you know, that since I was competing probably. So it's like, there's lots more at work and more to blame than just, you know, the way that competitions are, are held and run, but it is sad. I wish, I mean, there's definitely taking money in at these rev tours and stuff. There's signup fees and membership dues, but it's like, how do you divvy that back out? How do you really make it worthwhile? It's just like, Oh, it's so hard. And, and we try to do it every year and figure it out every year. I have the privilege of, sitting on the free ski board and then on the board of directors for the U.S. ski and snowboard team. And, and it's just this pipeline discussion that we have every year, how to make it more affordable, more accessible to make sure we capture more talent to have a better American team. And it's just a discussion that's never going to end. I, I doubt. Dude. Yeah, it is. It is tough. And like, and that's not, it's not a, like you said, it's not a criticism on the athletes at all. Like the athletes no. are just operating in the system that they have, you know, if you got to chase points, you chase points. Cause that's what yeah. it takes. And I respect that. You just work with the environment that you're given, but it's like the system. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not one to always talk about, Oh, this, the system, this, the system, that, but in this case, the system for competitions really is like, you can only do it kind of one way. Now there's no, it, it, other than your event, there's really no like pipeline for competitions that if you're good are self-supporting with like, you know, you win a qualifying, but you don't win the finals, you still get some money. So I yeah. think, yeah, it's the system in this case that is really just difficult to navigate for just a dude that's like a broke kid that just wants to make it. You can't. I mean, you almost can't. It's so hard to travel. The travel needed and where these events are held to get those points, It's it always comes down to then the person that goes to, the, goes to more of them has a better chance to get one result to make those couple results string together and count to get a start at the next level. It's just, it's really tough. It's tough and it's tiring for everyone. Keeping track of the points. Oh, does this event count as a qualifier? Oh no, it doesn't. Because for some reason, like X games isn't a qualifier for the Olympics. What, like, what are we doing? I know. I know. I mean, X games. Yeah. And now X games is even harder to get into this probably only there's basically only finals. There's not even a slow qualifier. So it's like, oh, everything's just really, really hard. I'm just grateful and fortunate that I uh, came up in the scene when it was a little bit easier. You yeah. could get away with doing a quick 1080 at one of the events I won 15 years ago. Can't do that now. Yeah. Alex Ball is doing two of those in one air to win gold medals. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that's a good point. It's a good self deprecating point. Like, do you think that? Maybe it's not even the system. Maybe it's like the difficulty of competition only allows people that have access to training facilities to compete at that higher level. Because you are not learning competition tricks on the East Coast. You're just simply not. No. You've, it, it's physically impossible. I mean, maybe eventually a jump on the East Coast get built that's big enough. But like, if you don't have access to an airbag, you can't keep up anymore because everybody's doing airbags. And by the time you do... 3,000 1620s on the airbag, you're never going to fall on it on snow. You just can't go out and try that without the airbag anymore. I mean, you can, but you're most likely going to like crash a couple times. Kids don't fall anymore. They're perfecting it hundreds and hundreds of times all summer long. That like, yeah, if you don't have access to those facilities, slope style is like, and big air events are like out of your wheelhouse. But that's the beauty of rail jams. 
I mean, exactly. Yeah. So you could build any of the rail setups I had at my event. You could build them at uh, Highland Hills in Minnesota, at uh, Whiteface, New York, and Round Top, Pennsylvania. You could build it anywhere. Yeah. So this, I mean, this is where it all comes full circle. And you, and you made that leap before I even made the connection. Like, is this where, is this where you're coming from with your event? Like, these are the issues, you know, we're too good. We're basically skiers are too good for, for their own good now. Like, is this what you're thinking when you're with this event or is it a combo of like honoring where you came from? Like, are these considerations that you have in mind? It's definitely a, a little bit of both. And I, I mean, everybody's so good nowadays, but I wouldn't change it for anything because I love watching it. And I love seeing legitimately the physical limits of what the human body is capable of on two pieces of wood. Like it's amazing, but that is inaccessible. And for me, I would say it's a little bit of bringing it back to my youth, what I did growing up, what got me to where I am. And then also leveling that playing field and I feel like rails in our sport are like the most level of all playing fields. Cause really you can build them and maybe the features this year were a little big, but the features we had two years ago legitimately are on the ground. Basic bullshit could have been built to any resort of the Midwest or East coast. No excuses. If you get beat by Alex Hall, it's not cause he trained on the airbag. It's cause he's been out on the slopes longer than you working harder than you deserves it more than you so it's just like i think it my goal with it is more or less yeah that level playing field where rails really are that like ultimatum like i know not everybody's good and not everybody loves them but if you do it really can be totally fair in that regard then everybody can have similar access to training and the kids that do the best tend to be those kids that grew up riding rope toes in the Midwest that have the repetition, the balance, the skill set, And I just love that about it. And it really does like pit all those different levels of athletes together. It really makes it like, I mean, I keep saying level playing field, but it's just cool that it really is like everybody's working with the same stuff. And it, it's just so fun to watch. It can get boring. That's the thing with rail skiing where like when it's too technical, I mean, who really cares from an outside perspective? If you're just tuning in on X Games YouTube and you see front swap, back swap, pretzel 450, like whatever, man, was that hard? Who cares? I don't know. It's like too much. But for us core skiers, it's just so fun to follow along and be impressed by. Definitely. And I think it, the thing I think is cool is that this is the event where the East Coast guys almost have an upper hand. You know, yeah. not not maybe necessarily like – I mean, guys out west get more time on snow probably year over year. But, like, this is what East Coast kids focus on. Just straight up. That's just, like, this is what people, you go to the park, you're hiking the rails, and that's it. It's so cool like that. And, yeah, I mean, there are definitely advantages. I mean, coming back to it, Alex is skiing year-round, every month of the year, world-class parks all over the world. Like, yeah, maybe he's training jumps, but he's also like in Europe, in Australia, wherever. So there's advantages. Don't get me wrong, but I don't know. Backyard rail setups exist. And like these East coast kids, this is definitely like the one event where if you fly to Aspen for Aspen open, which credit to Aspen, that's still probably, it's probably the only open slope style event that you can just sign up for pay and go do. So uh, a shout out to them for still putting that one on. But yeah, I mean, you fly out west, East Coasters, you got to be at a disadvantage. You haven't had jumps. 
you haven't had access to that, but the rails, you kind of been hitting them all year. It's time to, time to put up or shut up. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, I mean that, yeah, that's, that kind of wraps the second, the second event. I'm just looking at like some, just a basic outline I have. So like, what's the, what's your vision for the future? I mean, I, we've been kind of generally hinting at broader ideas, but do you take it more of a street league route where it's, you know, it's a, it's, it's kind of funny to use this term in, in skiing since it already exists, but it's like a traveling circus of pro, of pro skiers. You go to, you go to a different yeah. city, host the competition, go to the next, or do you see it, see it being more like a, uh, entry point for, for dudes that don't have access to jumps basically like which, which way do you see it trending right now? That's tough. I mean, I love both of them and, and the dream that like is really hard to get to is to involve both, to have a level of that traveling circus type multiple event structure that leads to either, you know, a super final event or a top tier event where there's grassroots events that qualify you into a pro tour and the pro tour qualifies you into like a very, very selective invite only street league style one. I mean, that's, that's a dream, but really for me, this one just ending, taking some time to think about it, talk to people that watched it, hearing from kids I ski with, and then trying to come back to it this summer and figuring out like, actually financially what's possible and what means the best and will make the most sense and the most impact on, on the ski industry. Because for me and at the point of my career that I'm in, like, I mean, it's awesome doing these, but like I get way more out of seeing the kids come up and giving uh, a pedestal and a chance to like these young kids that never would have, I mean, not to say they never would have been known, but to the Tuckers of the world, to the, Jackson Karstetters and uh, Owen Reddy's and all these kids that made it through to the finals and showed off their stuff. Like that's the most fulfilling part of it. So if I were to see right off the bat, this going anywhere, it's leaning more toward open, more toward qualifying registration, giving a chance and pitting sort of kids that don't have another access to a competition that they can show off on a rail event for them to really make a name for themselves and hopefully garner sponsorships and prize money and really trying to focus on, on highlighting an aspect of the sport that like doesn't get a lot of love and, and less about, I mean, I would love Alex and Colby and these guys to keep coming, but less about them and more about, you know, putting the spotlight onto a, a different part of the sport that doesn't get to see it. Cause it's really not the highlight part of a slope style course. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, have you had a chance to look at that, uh, the new schoolers thread that you posted? I think it was last night. I've been, I've been skimming through it. I, I haven't, I mean, most of the feedback is like basically what we're talking about and, and, and going through and I'll look through it again. I mean, I saw there was like another thread on NS or something. I was like, I, I mean, I might as well ask, I'm sure it'll divulge into how to get to Chad's gap and so-and-so did something or like, E Heath was there doing something like I'm sure it's gone to shit by now, but I was hoping at least there'd be like, it's, it's fun to get some feedback from that core industry that really like falls it so closely. I mean, hearing that stuff definitely, it's not going to sway me necessarily one way or the other, but it'll help me make up my mind on what direction it goes based on, on what everybody thinks and what everybody wants. Cause really, I mean, 
I'm not just doing this for me. Like if the community doesn't like watching it and the like athletes at the end weren't telling me they loved it, like I would not do it. It's, I mean, I'm not making money. This is, it's not for me. It's for, for the sport and the good of the sport and the good of rail skiing. So whatever the people want, I'll try my best to live up to that. Yeah. I think that the, the theme that I've seen throughout it and I think inspired the inspired media TV whoever's running that account on new school is they, they summed it up. They summed it up the best. And I think it's what a lot of people are thinking you do. The finals will still be televised, quote unquote televised, you know, streamed. And then you yeah. have like four different regionals where you qualify into the finals. So the, the, you could save the money on that, on those regionals. I mean, this is just, mm-hmm. I'm just repeating what I thought the best idea was that I saw on there and put into words. It was like, you enter in, it's a local rail jam for these regionals. And then you get a, then you get a chance to go to the big show. I think that like would really, you know, incorporate everything. Cause you're not flying, you know, a kid from, I'm from Connecticut. So that's what immediately what I think of kid from Connecticut isn't going to fly down to a qualifier, you know, wherever at mammoth, but they'll definitely go to the qualifier. If it's at Killington, you know, yeah. Yeah. that's really kind of the dream setup too because then you have one event that really is invite only in a way you have less people less moving parts less events to run more of a focus on primetime features that you know everybody's capable of rather than trying to like pick pick a perfect balance for every level of skier and really I mean it just it it sounds great in theory I don't know if I could be at five different locations throughout the winter and still maintain a pro skiing career and filming. And that's really like my rationale for not having done more of them. It's like, well, as soon as I commit to doing four qualifying events, like if I'm going to run them, I'm going to go to them and make sure they're run correctly. And then at that point now between that X games and a couple world cups, I officially am no longer a pro skier and I'm just an event manager. So Maybe that's just a hard take that I got to have with myself is when do you, when do you hang up the towel and trying to make good company films? And when do you put all your energy into this? But hopefully there's a way to do it all, I guess. Maybe I'm trying to have, have my cake and eat it too. Yeah. And so, I mean, this is getting meta, but like some podcasts are what we call evergreen content. You know, you do the biography of so-and-so and it doesn't matter if that was made in, in 2010 or or 2022 like you could go back and your childhood story is gonna be the same every time you tell it so that's evergreen content i want i hope that this is more of like a a a practical functional one because like just workshopping this idea this is like i mean this could really be the start of like a, a a big shift in like the ski competition so i hope that other pros or people that want to get involved are listening to this and they're saying hey i got this idea let's reach out to Tom for it. Cause I, it has so much potential. Exactly. I mean, anybody that wants to help or wants to be a part of that and it doesn't even have to be rail jams or my idea. I mean, even like what happened to like local big airs or like anything like locally run, like since when, like, I mean, they're just like, I hope to inspire. Yeah. More people to take the initiative to kind of like, I don't know, take back the competitive aspect of our sport from the big organizations like it's amazing that we have that world cup level and we have this pipeline and the points but like i wish there was just more one-off things like kids would travel for go meet other kids at you don't necessarily need your coach for that one weekend 
or bring the coach. There were coaches at Steel City Showdown. They were helping athletes do great rail tricks. I mean, there's still always a place for it, but it would just be great to see and not say, I mean, lots of other athletes have done it, but more big time pros taking more ownership and helping run more rider run or locally run events that just like bring a little bit of that soul and that like flavor back into a sport that's been started to just get so pinpointed into what's your runs got to be left and right have some rails do this like let's get back to just letting it be free in a little bit and letting it be rogue the judging will always be bad somebody will hate something but we can all fight about it together at the bar and then plan the next one like let's uh let's get back to the roots a little bit and and i hope to yeah inspire more and more people other than myself i don't want to plan all the events it's uh it's exhausting but more and more people to to do stuff and put stuff together and, and yeah, reach out to me. I'll come make an appearance. Somebody hosts a cool event. I'll, I'll, I'll come out and compete or uh, be a part of it in any way I can. Yeah. So, I mean, if you wanted to like ask for help in any direction, like where does, where do you currently need help with this event? You know, is it on the production side, scheduling, logistics, like where, what, what's like the best or <laughs> finding money, you know, that's always the common theme for these things. Like, where do you need the I mean, most help right now? That's obviously an easy, an easy out, easy excuse. I would say we've got a great production team. We've got an amazing team of people handling logistics between myself and Tom, my wife's staff, our whole crew. I think more than anything, it's resorts. I mean, anybody out there listening or anybody with connections at resorts it's resorts willing to host events to put money in their own effort behind you know paying their park crew paying their builders to build the setup to host an event to close things off to maintain things to build something in the city to you know meet and greet like it's really that those points of contact so the resorts anywhere to do it a city that's interested, a city mayor, a city planner, somebody that works somewhere that knows somebody, it's these contacts that would make it so much more accessible because all these things are so fluid once you know the right person that can get you in and help you out. So for me, that's the next thing. If it was ever to be bigger and be more countrywide, tour-wide, it would be about finding the right partners to work with. Because without the right resorts or locations, no matter how much money you raise, it's never going to be worthwhile. So mm-hmm. it's always, yeah, always dollars and places for me. Yeah. So if you want to get really businessy, there's your call to action. So what, so say there's like a resort, you know, resort owner, operator, marketing person, how do they actually, you know, say they want to act on it. How do they get in contact with you or who do they reach? Hit me up. I'm always available. Send me a DM or T Wallace at Gmail. Get after me. I mean, I'll direct you to Tom. And, and from there, it really is. It's so hard for us to just reach out coldly and blunt, like cold call style, like emails with people. I mean, we just have such a good relationship with Seven Springs. But I mean, I hope to do something there for years to come. But yeah, anybody, anybody know somebody or your parents or any connection, please have them reach out to me and, and we'll connect the dots and try to get something going. I'd love for there to be to be more things, even if it's not necessarily another rail jam. It could be any event, but if I can facilitate in any way, that would be be epic. Yeah. If you know some like hedge fund managers that just have a lot yeah. of extra money. 
I mean, that would be really good. If we could get just like Toyota to sponsor the whole thing at a half million dollars, that would be great. So if anybody, their dad owns Toyota or whatever car company or any, any massive corporation, Apple, I don't care. Google can sponsor it. Just, uh, you know, if you guys, anybody out there lives in Silicon Valley, just send, uh, send the contact info my way. Perfect. So, okay, so, so we'll, we'll make that the end of the, the Steel City Showdown talk. Do you have a time for a couple uh, viewer questions? I like to give people a crack at it every now and then. Of course, let's do it. Okay, so I'm going to send you the first one, actually. So the first guest question is from your good friend, Steve Stepp. Oh, God. I'm surprised you'd even see him recording this on a lift today. But uh, you can play that for me. Uh, we pretty much rode the chairlift all day together, so I don't know when you had the chance to do this. Hey, Tom. I know you've been in a lot of different ski movies. Some major parts, some minor parts, but always with sick footage. If you had to pick one ski movie or one ski movie company that you would pull your footage from, from that year and from that movie and use it yourself, what would it be? Pull your, pull your footage from and use it yourself. Oh man, that's tough. To be honest, I don't even know what he means with that. Yeah, I really don't. I... Does he mean like, <laughs> you could use it any way you want. You could use it to you know, upload it to social. You could, you could. Yeah, I, <laughs> I mean, he, you're right. I feel like back in the day I did film with so many different companies for so many different things. And really like all that came to a culmination where I was like sick of having my footage split and ended up filming the Wallace project so I could film for one project all year. But I don't know. I mean, that's tough, Steve. I, I don't know what he's hinting at. I feel like he's hinting at like me wanting to like pull some footage out of like a movie that I didn't want to be in. But really I, I've kind of enjoyed all my features I mean, from everything over the course of the years, let's say, I'll say I wish I could have taken some of the field productions footage that I've had shot over the years, which is some of the stuff that we've done part shoot wise with field in Norway on massive Fjordlands jumps that got seen a ton by the European crowd, but I think never got like to, to be shared as much with my, my American audience. And I really love my time with those guys and would have loved grabbing some of that footage and having it in the level one movie or a four by nine movie, just because we used to film part shoots, but they were not part shoots like the field production guys put on. So uh, I'll take some of that stuff back from Philip at field and, uh, and bring it back to the U S there you go. That's a, that's a really good, really good way to use that question. When you look back on like the, this is just a sidebar. When you look back on like the four by nine days, where you're literally just like fanning money at the camera. Do you, the now professional peacock Tom, do you wish that footage would disappear or is that part of your story at this point? It's, it's, that's a great question. I guess wish it would disappear is probably not true. Do I hope that it's not as well seen? Yeah, of course. I mean, but no, I mean, those those years and that genre of our type of skiing and that like fake gangsterness of our of our youth is something like I, I wouldn't take back. It was so much fun and for us so playful and just so ridiculous, like 
never meant to be serious. And for me, like those, those guys and that friendship and that crew is those are the best years of my life. Just being young, dumb and stupid and just having so much fun on skis. So I definitely don't regret any of it. And those days will, will live on in my head forever. Is it embarrassing and cringy to look back on? For sure. But that's with everything. I'm sure half the kids out there nowadays skiing, doing however they're doing it, are going to cringe about what they do in 10 years. So, no, I, I mean, those are those are the funniest days. And, and really, I mean, I try not to watch too many of those videos because I just sound like a child and sound ridiculous. But what are you going to do? It's part of me. <laughs> when uh, So I actually do have a, I have a Steve question. Well, just while Steve and 4 by 9 what do you guys think when, you know, you're leaving college and you're, maybe you're getting a bit more serious about skiing and competing and commentating and uh, Steve starts making videos about trolling people? I mean, till this day, like I refuse to be featured in one of these videos. I mean, since they've since halted and they no longer get made, but like, I mean, Steve is just one of a kind and so so out there and so not worried to offend somebody and be awkward that like me and where I am nowadays in my career, like I, it's so cringe to me. Like I can't be involved. Like Steve, this is so offensive. Like I, I've just like, I, I I've met too many people and know too many things about the world that I can't, I can't be a part of this. Like can't even listen to you say these things you're saying without cringing, but that's who Steve is. And uh, it's, I, He's staying true to himself. I don't know. I mean, I don't think I'm embarrassed about my videos on the internet, or at least not that embarrassed. He definitely should be embarrassed. <laughs> well, you're not you're not down with Zane Cushman? I, I mean, <laughs> at one point, he legitimately got addicted to his vape pen because he was doing that as a joke and then just became fully like a tobacco addict and started smoking cigs. I don't know. Like, it's just like he's such a strange guy. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. Ryan Barrick said the same thing because he was a, he was a round top guy, and then he said that oh, Steve, yeah. Steve went off to Utah for a couple of years, and then he came back, and he was Zane Cushman like without a camera yeah. on him. So it was like <laughs> everyone was like, "Is this for real or is this a character?" <laughs> the character just like became him, but. Uh, I mean, yeah, I guess I wouldn't let Steve change for anything because it's also really entertaining to watch and I get like a kick out of laughing at him and watching the videos, but like, I don't want to be featured, that's for sure. You're not going to catch me putting a wig on and dressing up or doing any of that stuff he's doing in his videos. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. All right, so uh, this one, this one's been a fan favorite as of late and we'll probably keep doing it, yeah. even though other shows do it. So Eric Quinn... He resubmitted his question uh, from the previous two episodes. What is your hot take? One in skiing, one not skiing. Ooh, hot take? I don't know if I've got any really hot takes. I mean, I like a lot of things. I'm really not much of a hater. Steph, you got anything? No, I'm just laughing at me? I mean, I'm a, I'm a hater, but always in a funny way. I mean, lately we've been hating on like us old skiers, I guess that wore tall tees and ridiculous polos have been hating on lots of kids wearing like 
tech micro puff jackets, which is just so funny because they're so much more waterproof and warm than like the shit we wore. But the like look is definitely like, you know, thermoball or the micro puffy jacket, not really like a, a waterproof layer or a windproof layer, but it's like almost a jacket you would wear around town. So it's not a ski jacket, but it's not a hoodie. It's like right in between. We're not hating on it, but I just think it's like everybody's got them and it's gotta be a look. It's like, you gotta have it. And it's just funny when me and Steve and our whole crew of like older guys are like, now wearing jackets all the time and thinking back on like yeah but remember that time we wore a polo and then a 2xl and then a 3xl tall tee underneath it so the layers were good we're like yeah oh fuck we were idiots so uh not that hot of a take i don't know i'm a big fan of most things in skiing i mean i really styles the the look the feel everything i mean it's all got its place. And I love to see people doing something different like we did when we were young and dumb. So go road with it. Be weird. I, I'd rather see somebody stand out than do the exact same thing as the person next to them. But you old heads will still, will still amongst yourselves make a comment that they're not wearing what you wore. Yeah, we'll definitely make a comment, but you know, it'll, it won't be necessarily a critique. It'll just be more uh, inquisitory sort of discussion. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and do you even want to touch a, a hot take out of skiing? I'm not that pop culture reference. I don't know if I've got a hot take out of skiing. I mean, I guess a hot take out of skiing would be the lack of quality rap music nowadays and how it's all trash. And I'm just a 90s hip hop kid who can't find any music to listen to anymore. So that's my hot take is that all hip hop is bad nowadays. There you go. That'll get you some haters right there. Come at me. Come at me. So I'm glad that I'm glad that you mentioned the outfits as as your hot take because uh, my buddy Tom Caruso, the underscore Caruso, he asks, of all your drip over the years, what has been your favorite kit? Oh, that's tough. Oh, favorite kit. I mean, there's been some there's been some really good kits. A couple things come straight to my mind. The, the brown and black Ronin suit that me and Steve both bought a Ronin suit our freshman year at college where he wore the green goblin suit and I had the brown and black suit for super unknown will forever go down in my head is just like it was like the first outerwear that I like up until that point my parents had like supported me and I like bought that outerwear with like my own money for a job I worked in the fall and thought it was so sick and wore it for like a hundred days and it was just a staple of that whole year of skiing for me so it's hard to not say that like brown and black ronin suit wasn't my favorite and then the two other ones there was a black and yellow north face kit was the first north face outfit i got and i thought it was the coolest thing ever because it was not only black and yellow for pittsburgh but like the same style and colorway that scott schmidt wore years and years ago steve tech that I just also thought was so badass. And then the one coat that I had from Sweet Protection was a, a one piece that I sent to my grandmother who was living in Pennsylvania at the time, she's since passed. And she cut the one piece in half or at the legs, re-sewed it so that it would be a long ass tall jacket and I wore it, it was a one piece made into just a jacket and it came down to my knees. And I thought it was so fucking sick 
And for like the, that whole season, kids were asking me where to buy it because they thought it was like, oh, it's a long coat. Nobody made things long and like tall like that. And I just had to like lie and say it was going to be available the next season. It just wasn't. Their coats were tiny and short. They were nowhere like that. And I just like remember my grandma doing that and thinking it was so cool. And in hindsight, it was just so silly to like custom make a jacket that fit me down to my knees. But those three kind of outfits, I mean, that's a long-winded answer, but three that just stand out to me is like things that I'll never forget wearing. Yeah, that's that's really good. And I think one of those actually made an appearance in this next question. So S. Vioni, he asks, uh, what is the real story behind the the, the video titled T-Wall in, uh, in Trouble and Gaper Day, which is from oh, 2007? Yeah, I mean, there's not that good of a story behind it other than we were all skiing. I ollied over a fence, which clearly you're not supposed to do. Somebody yelled at me. I didn't hear it. I had music in and obviously then got yelled at again at the bottom and was probably being a smart ass because what 19 year old wouldn't be a smart ass. So I got in trouble. They pulled my pass, made me take a snowmobile down. But luckily me and Steve looked enough alike and felt close enough to being the same person. He had a broken collarbone. So I wore his green goblin outfit for a week and still got to ski PC every day, even though my pass was blacked out or pulled for a week. But uh, it's not that good of a story. We just got into an argument with a safety patroller because I was probably an asshole running my mouth and had jumped over a fence. (laughs) That's That's one of those like all time. It's the same as like the clown school videos and the, it's just that qual the quality of the video and just what you guys are wearing. It's a very like, it's a video that is like a, from a very different time. And it's funny. A specific time. Yeah. <laughs> like oh, such a specific so funny, vibe though. to that video. All right. Next one. And this, this one's also a great callback. So beyond 28, any memories from filming the I feel good edit? He says it's the best edit of all time. That is a a really nice thing to say. I mean, that edit really does, I mean, the vibes at that event and just skiing with Henrik and Andreas who filmed that one. I mean, it was just like, like so cool to be out there and still so cool to look back on that edit and to see where Henrik is, where Nicholas Erickson is coaching the entire Swedish uh, team uh, where Henrik's brother Oscar is running Harlow Apparel, like the crew in there, and then uh, Auntie filming all the bunch videos now. It's just so cool that that edit almost is like a collection of characters that it's still now, whatever that is, 14 years later? No. Yeah, no, maybe not that many. 13 uh, years later be. or something? It could be. It's pretty, it's or, that's from a while ago. All still somewhere in the ski scene doing something really really pat that they're passionate about supporting the ski scene and like being a part of it in such a cool way but i mean that was just an amazing time where me and henrik were so close getting to live out there i spent like a week at his parents house in aura and just like skiing together like that was just really cool and like i mean the vibes are just immaculate in that song and i've got hair so it just brings back great memories that long flowing hair is pretty dope yeah So I just looked it up. That video is from, uh, let's see, 13 years ago. It was published in 2009. 
that's not that long ago, really. Yeah, I mean, feels yeah, like no, just there's, just there's just kids skiing today that were born that year, you know. Exactly. I mean, that Walker Woodring kid who's like all over the place now was literally not born, not even close to being born. He's only eleven. <laughs> oh, brutal. That's brutal. All right, Holden Baldassi asks, how was urban skiing in Alaska? And I cannot remember what project that was from, but I do remember seeing those clips. Yeah, there was uh, the full season of filming for Level 1 Sunny we filmed in Anchorage because it was like the only place in North America with snow. So we went there twice and it was really fun. I would say Anchorage is not a huge city and there's only like certain amounts of spots that you could really use. So I would say it was one of the like, seasons where we thought more outside of the box and more like weird and interesting and like tried extra hard to make things work so i really enjoyed it i mean we really had a lot of fun trying to like figure out ways to hit something or trying to stay up till sunrise to get away with something because it was really there was only x amount of space it's not like a huge town so it was really cool experience i'll tell you what telling people that i've skied in alaska twice and then not really understanding the fact that, no, I mean, only in Anchorage, I've literally never skied a resort or out of a helicopter or whatever else in Alaska is, is pretty funny. Yeah, that's awesome. All right. So uh, Jake, no middle name, Doobie. He asked, how did you oh. first, how did you first link up with line skis? I guess I rode line skis were probably my first twin tips. I had the line motherships and the line ghetto blasters ridiculous name for skis uh way back when i was buying skis when i was young my first couple twin tips from like age 12 to age 14 and then from then on i i had like sponsors throughout the year and i guess i'd always been working with full tilt so originally i got a shout out josh malchek who first got me on full tilt and worked with me through the years at full tilt and then pressed year after year every year i had another ski sponsor to try to get me to leave them to come to line or when it was up to try to sign me to line and eventually like it worked out all the stars aligned where i was leaving a deal with scott and he really wanted me and could make it worthwhile with the higher ups at k2 and give me the ability to have a pro model and everything and, and really shout out to him for just breaking me down over the years and making me aware of like how dope the program was and just like how long-term my career could be with them and him and, and Eric Pollard kind of showing me the way of like what you could really be with a ski brand. So to this day, I mean, that was 2015, got that intro and I mean, haven't looked back to this day. It's still such a great team. We just did a team shoot to Fernie BC filming some free ride stuff. And really, I mean, just such a good crew of guys and gals working on making fun twin tip skis to do creative fun stuff all over the mountain. And I'm really loving my time and hope it never comes to an end. Hopefully, I mean, I plan on being there for life. So hopefully they're ready for that. I'll be moving into the office any day now. We'll, we'll see. Yeah. Uh, he also, he also included some shit talking about the Steelers. Great. He's a Baltimore <laughs> Ravens fan, of course. Get out of here with that. Yeah. So uh, so I have the last two questions for you. Sorry to everyone. There were just so many questions. We couldn't get to them all. So Emil Larson 
hope that's the right name. I like this question. What is your biggest accomplishment outside of skiing? Outside of skiing? Yeah. Oh, wow. That is, that is a hard charged question. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> My wife's listening. So I guess it would, I guess it would be finding a, a perfect girl to marry. Uh, no, I mean, obviously that I would say finally graduating college, something that took me 12 years. Cause I took a seven year hiatus, uh, and, you know, feeling like able to accomplish something in life that wasn't just ski related. And then, uh, I think, yeah, the relationships in my life from the friends that I have and my beautiful wife that I shared my life with, I mean, those outside of skiing are the things that I'm most proud of and, and for the rest of my life will make me the most happy. That's awesome. And the last question, this guy's trying to, trying to kick you out the door. So uh, Cameron underscore Culligan, will you retire from pro skiing soon? Wow. Real straight, straight to the point kind of guy. Uh, I like to say I retired from competitions as soon as I felt like, I was in the way of other skiers, you know, trying to come up working harder and wanting it more than me. And for me with like filmmaking and the other aspects of skiing, I still have so much passion, so much drive, so many tricks I've yet to do in the backcountry that I still want to do so many rails and rail tricks in the streets that I still want to do and rails that I want to find that as as soon as I don't have that will and passion and I don't have that drive to still push my skiing and the film aspect of my skiing, I'll definitely take a step back and let the kids that are coming up working harder have at it. But for the time being, I don't, I'm working harder than half those kids out there. So I'm going to stick to it and stick producing the stuff that I love and, and trying to make videos to get people stoked to go skiing continue to try to have fun skiing and produce events and do everything else I can to spread love and passion for the sport. And I'm sticking true to it. I, I mean, I'm 34 going on 35, check back in at 40 and I'll, I'll let you know, Cameron. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Cameron, he's not, you can't kick him out yet. Even though you can't want kick to. me out yet, buddy. Come on. <laughs> cool. So that's it, Tom. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for everything you're doing for skiing. It's been awesome to see you over the years and like to talk to you is surreal. So uh, this was awesome. Of course. Hell yeah, man. Thanks for having me, Ethan. This is really awesome. I love talking to shop steel city and hopefully inspiring kids. I mean, I hope people reach out if they have questions or they have ideas and uh, let's continue to make this sport as great as what it is and what it can be and fun for all. Hell yeah.